I'm grateful to be here today and worship together uh, and to be back. Uh, as, as many of you know, uh, over the past uh, couple weeks, Caitlin and I were traveling in Ireland. Uh, it was a beautiful and wonderful time, and we have lots of, of stories from that that I'm sure there will be opportunities to share. Uh, and this has also been mentioned, last night was a, a wonderful, beautiful evening uh, together as we feasted and shared the stories of God at work in this church community. Uh, it was a gift to be together. Um, it, it lasted a couple of hours, and it surely could have lasted a couple more uh, if, if we had let it go on. And, and I hope it does uh, as, as we continue in community together, feasting together on the goodness of God. So as we began this gathering last night, Caitlin shared a story from our time in Ireland. Uh, and and I, I'd love to share it uh, as well uh, with those of you who, who maybe weren't there. So at the end of our very first day in Ireland, we were tired from traveling. We were disoriented from the time zone change. And, and of course, uh, we were hungry. So after checking in uh, to our hotel for the night, one of the first questions we asked was, so where do you recommend for dinner? Right, where is someone somewhere we can go nearby for dinner? And one of the first things that was answered was, "Oh, well, if you want to go somewhere really beautiful, you should go to the church." And I was intrigued. Right? Well, what is this? Uh, so we did. We went there, and when we arrived, what we found was this massive, beautiful church building uh, that dates back to the beginning of the 18th century. It had stained glass on one end and a massive, beautiful pipe organ on the other end. Uh, and come to find out, this building has quite a bit of history to it. Um, Arthur Guinness, the founder of the Guinness Brewery, was married there in 1761. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, delivered his first Irish sermon, his first sermon in Ireland here at, at that church, uh, in 1747, Handel's Messiah, right? I mean, this, this uh, famed piece of music, the Hallelujah Chorus and, and so on, uh, was first publicly performed in Dublin, not at this church, but uh, whenever he was preparing for that performance, this is where he went to practice the organ, uh, in this very place, right? Um, very uh, storied history. And, and in 2022, this is where Drew and Caitlin Dixon had dinner, right? <laughs> Another very important piece of that place's history. So today, over 300 years after it was built, uh, this building serves as a restaurant. Uh, it's, it's been kind of reordered and, and, and structured so that it's filled with tables and, and chairs and, and you're in the middle of this massive sanctuary and you sit down and you eat. Um, and, you know, when we entered into this place for a moment, we both kind of looked at each other and, and, I mean, it was beautiful, but we also thought, oh, it's a little sad that this place is no longer a, a, a church, right? I mean, it's a place for dinner and drinks now. But then as we sat at our table, settled in, looked around a bit more, we realized that this picture of the sanctuary in which people were eating and feasting together really is a beautiful picture of church, right? 
This place is rightly called the church. It felt like after having spent uh, a number of, of weeks, a couple of months, uh, exploring the feasts of the Old Testament together here, uh, that, that we arrived our first night in Ireland for dinner at the church and sat down. God, God was saying to, to us, look, this is what my people should be like. This is what the church is meant to be. A place of feasting, a place of celebration. Thou shalt feast, right? This is what we've been talking about. So today, I'd like to share one more event in Israel's calendar with you all. So if you have your Bible, open up to Leviticus 25. Leviticus 25. Uh, Over the past couple months, we've been walking through Leviticus 23, which outlines much of Israel's calendar, right? Uh, We've been taking it one week at a time, looking at each different things. It begins with Sabbath, which happens every single week in the life of Israel. Uh, And then through the rest of chapter 23, it outlines these annual yearly feasts that occur, Well, in chapter 25, where we are today, there are two more very important occasions that occur every several years, or even every several decades. They are known as the Sabbath year and the year of Jubilee. And so let's read about them now. Leviticus 25, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I am going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, for yourself, your male and female servants, and the hired worker and temporary resident who live among you, as well as for your livestock and the wild animals in your land. Whatever the land produces may be eaten. Then count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. And then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement. Sound the trumpet throughout your land and consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land, to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the untended vines. For it is a jubilee and it is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. In this year of Jubilee, everyone is to return to their own 
property. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for the gift of feasting and this calendar that invites us into your freedom. God, I pray that as we reflect on the words of your scripture together this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, as we've just read, in addition to weekly Sabbath and yearly feasts, every seven years, there's a whole Sabbath year. And then every seven Sabbath years, every 50 years, there is the year of Jubilee. The Sabbath year was a year of rest for the land, and Jubilee was a year of freedom and restoration for the people, where they would be freed from their debts, restored to their homes, when redemption would occur. It is perhaps best summed up in verse 10 that we've just read. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. Now, if we read through the rest of the chapter, what we see is a number of additional guidelines for this year of Jubilee. Verses 14 to 17 describe how the year of Jubilee is going to affect their economy, uh, the buying and the selling of land. Verses 18 through 22 describes how God is going to provide for them, even though there is Sabbath year and the year of Jubilee, that they don't work the land. God, how will you provide? God says, I will provide for you. And then the rest of the chapter, verses 23 and on, is concerned with redemption. We see the word redemption occur over and over again. And it's redemption of the land and the redemption of the people. Verses 23 through 34 are about the redemption of the land. And verses 35 to 55 are about the redemption of people. Now, when we hear the word redemption, we usually think of it in spiritual terms, right? Redemption is a spiritual thing, uh, and, and it is, but before it was spiritual in, in any way, the word redemption referred to a social and economic exchange that's described throughout this chapter, a social and an economic exchange. Redemption is a social and economic exchange that later is used metaphorically to describe a spiritual transformation. So what is redemption? What is redemption? Well, that's what this chapter is all about. Redemption is about freedom and restoration. Redemption is about freedom and restoration. Redemption is about returning things to the way they were meant to be. It's about making things right and good again after tragedy or wrong has occurred. It's about restoring what has gone 
wrong. So regarding land, verse 25 says that if someone becomes poor and is forced to sell their land, then that land now needs to be redeemed, right? It was meant for this people, but it's been sold to that people. So it needs to be restored to its initial purpose. It needs to be redeemed, one of the other places that we stayed in Ireland was this Airbnb farmhouse. Uh, and it had been in the host's family for over 200 years, they told us. Uh, 200 years. Originally, this structure was just a barn on a piece of land. And then the family was moving into it, so they would build onto it, expanded it, added bedrooms, and so on. Uh, and generation after generation, this uh, building, this farmhouse was expanded and expanded. Uh, and, and now, uh, you know, 200 years later, uh, the woman and her husband live in a different home somewhere else on the property, and they rent this one out on Airbnb. But, but we got to stay in that. But I want you to just imagine for a moment, if something happened to, to this woman and, and her husband, to their family, and they lost that family home. They lost that property. They were forced to, to move out or to sell it or something. How tragic would that be? 200 years this has been in her family, right? To lose that is so much. This is exactly the kind of thing that Leviticus 25 is talking about. Redemption is about restoring the family home to the family. It's about bringing things back to the way they're meant to be. And so there's the, re the restoration of land, the redemption of land. But then regarding people, verses 39 and on, say that if someone becomes poor and is forced to sell themselves into slavery, well, then now that person needs to be redeemed. Right? right, They were meant to be free and, and, and to live in freedom, not to be enslaved, but they need to be restored. Right, they were, they were meant to be free, but now they're in slavery. So this person needs to be redeemed to their intended state. This is what redemption is all about. It's about freedom. It's about restoration. So this chapter gives all of these instructions for redeeming people and redeeming land that strayed from their intended purpose, saying that family members must come and redeem the land for their relatives, um, or that uh, people have the right to redeem themselves or their own land if they can. But if none of these redemption measures work, Right? If, if the family can't redeem the land, you know, buy it back for the family, or if a person can't be redeemed out of slavery, well, then the year of Jubilee is when everything resets. The year of Jubilee is the year that all things are redeemed. Slaves are set free. Debts are canceled. Land is restored to its people, and people restored to their home. So we read verse 10 again. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all of its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family 
property and to your own clan. It's a year of long-awaited freedom and restoration. So this is what the year of Jubilee is, is all about. And it tells us a lot about ourselves, about the world that we live in, and about the heart of God. So I want to consider each of these in the rest of our time. So first, what does Jubilee tell us about ourselves? What does Jubilee tell us about ourselves? Well, Jubilee, this year of redemption, tells us that we need to be redeemed. We are in desperate need of redemption. Just like land that's sold to strangers or people sold into slavery, so we, both in our personal lives and the long history of humanity, have strayed from our intended purpose in the world. And we need to be redeemed. We need to be restored. We're in desperate need of redemption. You see, humanity was originally created for the goodness of Eden. Right? We read about this in the opening chapters of the Bible, the Garden of Eden, where, where humanity lived in perfect harmony with God, with each other, and with the earth itself, where provision was plentiful and where beauty abounded. But we don't live in Eden anymore. Right? That's not where we live. The earth has been subjected to thorns and thistles. We are estranged from God and from each other, and we have that gnawing ache of homelessness. We need to go back home. We need to be redeemed. Humanity was originally created for the goodness of of life, right? But we have become enslaved to sin and death. We were meant to live freely and lightly. But instead, life has often come to feel like a burden. It's it's become filled with bitterness and resentment. We become stuck, enslaved, to our circumstances, enslaved to our own habits, coping mechanisms, with no seeming way out. What was meant to be free and light has become heavy and stuck. We need to be redeemed. Do you resonate with any of this? Where in your life Do you encounter thorns and thistles? Are are there ways that you feel stuck? Or things that, that you feel burdened by? As you reflect on these things, do you have a sense of hope for redemption? Or does it sometimes feel like a dark hole leading to a dead end. We're in desperate need of redemption. Now, um, 
I want to ask, are there any Star Wars fans in here? I know there's, there's a few. So have any of you been watching the newest show, Andor? I know I talked to you guys about it a little bit the other night, uh, last night. Um, so Andor, is, it's this new show in, in the world of Star Wars. It follows the story of Cassian Andor. Uh, he's sort of this cynical lone ranger who resents the empire, but also has no faith in this growing rebellion, right? He doesn't want to really have anything to do with anyone. He's kind of a lone ranger on his own, and he's fine with that. But somewhere along the way, in the injustice of the empire, he is prosecuted for a crime that he didn't really commit, and he ends up in this remote prison facility where prisoners wake up every day and are forced to do tedious manual labor, assembling these little parts for the empire. I don't even know what they are, right? They're just these these weird things. They're connecting pieces and then pushing it off and doing another one. And that's every day, day in and day out. Just make little widgets and send them along. Make another one. And every day is exactly the same. At night, they go to their cell where they have to stay, and in the day, they go out and do their work. Everything is exactly the same every day, except for one thing. In their cell, there's a little display with a number on it. And that number represents the days that are left of their sentence. And so every morning, they wake up to a new number, just one day less one day closer to being free again, to being finished with this. Their redemption is coming, right? They will eventually be free as the numbers tick down and down until word gets out that there is a prisoner who was up on level four of this facility who completed his sentence and he was released. And on the next day, was fed right back into level two of that facility. As word spreads about this, they learn that those countdowns on the display is just a ruse. It's all a lie. No one's going to get out of here. When that time countdown runs out, you're not going into freedom. You're just going to be recirculated into another prison. You're going to be recirculated onto another level. We're stuck here. And there's no getting out. So with this news, the prisoners begin plans to to try to break out. How do we get out of here? And their battle cry is this. One way out. There's one way out. We're not getting out by waiting out our sentence. There's only one way out. And so they, you know, come up with this way to, to try to forcibly break out because waiting around is going to lead to nowhere. Now, I won't tell you how the prison break goes in case you decide to watch it. But isn't that a picture of our life sometimes? Right? We, we have this hope. If I just wait, things will get better. If I just wait, I'll I'll eventually get out of this, right? I, I long for redemption. 
But in reality, we're, we're stuck. We're really just stuck. Waiting around for time to run out is not going to amount to anything. You see, there really is only one way out. But here's the thing, it's not our willpower. It's not by brute force. It's not a prison break. Because no matter how hard we try to break free of sin, we'll always be stuck in it. Because here's the thing, either you'll fail at breaking free from sin, and if you do that, well, you're stuck in sin, right? Or the alternative is you succeed at breaking free from sin, which leads you to the all more sinister form of self-righteousness, which is no better. There's no way out. We're stuck in this, except for the one way out. That is Jesus. Jesus is our freedom and restoration. Jesus is our redemption. Jesus is the one way out. He is the one who led the charge against the enemy, but it wasn't by brute force. It was by the cross. And it's only by following him that we'll find any sense of redemption or freedom. And so what does Jubilee say about us? We're in desperate need of redemption, and there's only one way out. The redeeming grace of God in Jesus Christ. Now, as we are transformed and redeemed in Christ, what does Jubilee tell us about the world around us? Well, it tells us that the world around us is a living thing in need of care. A living thing in need of care. This chapter about Jubilee that we are reading and looking at today begins with a description of the Sabbath year. And did you catch the description of it. The, the land itself will need a Sabbath. Verse 4, in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest. Sabbath to the Lord. The land needs to rest. You see, in the biblical worldview, all of creation is alive and in need of our care. The world around us is something that we actually are, are called into relationship with and called to care for. That's the biblical worldview. But in our modern worldview, creation is often reduced to merely a thing that we extract resources from. We mine it for coal. We dig it for gold. On and on, right? It's just stuff that if we can gather up, we can get as much as we want, right? Stuff for us. I've recently been reading a book about trees. I love trees. And one of the things that it points out is that we live in a world where a tree is worth more dead than it is alive. Think about that for a moment, right? A tree is worth more dead than it is alive because dead, it can be turned into lumber, and sold. It can be turned into paper products, on and on. But living, it's just there, right? That's not worth money for me, is it? 
what does it say about the world we live in? That dead things are often worth more than living things. That's a world enslaved to death. That's a world enslaved to death. This is why Paul writes in Romans 8 that all creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Creation itself is longing for redemption. The land is living and groaning to be redeemed. This is is what we're called to, and yet we often view the world around us as merely utilitarian. What can I get out of it? The land is not something that we use for our gain. It's something we're called into relationship with. So in the Sabbath year, the land receives rest. And in the Jubilee, the land is redeemed. Creation itself is a living thing in need of care. And so we're called to care for it. Now, this is true of creation, but this very same thing is true of other people as well. Our society has reduced the world to resources to be extracted, and it's done the very same thing to people. Right? People are just whatever they can produce. People are just resources to be extracted, right? We often approach people with that same question. What can I get out of you? And that's often the question that that we're faced with every day. Someone asking us, what can you do for me? But just as Jubilee reminds us that the land is a living thing in need of care, so are other people. Living beings, deserving compassion and care. Leviticus 25, verse 35 says, If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them. Help them. Serve them. And lest someone turn this service into a business opportunity for their own gain, verse 36 goes on to say, don't take interest or profit from them, but fear your God that they may continue to live among you. When you help someone, you're not doing it for yourself. You're not doing it for your own gain, but for their good and ultimately for God's Glory, right? It, it, it says, fear your God. Don't take profit from them, but fear your God. Jubilee is a call to radical compassion and generosity towards one another. It's a call to love and serve the ones who are in need. It's a call to see where tragedy and wrong has occurred and work to make things good and right again. To work toward the restoration and the redemption of the world around us. 
That's what we're called to. This is what Jubilee says about the world. The land and the people, creation and community are not resources to be plundered, but living beings in need of compassion and care. And so with all of this in mind, what does Jubilee tell us about God? What does it tell us about God? Well, at least two things. That God is sovereign and that God is good. God is sovereign and God is good. God rightly rules over all things and he desires goodness for all things. Why must the land be redeemed? Leviticus 25, verse 23 to 24 say, the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine. That's what God says. The land is mine. And you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. So throughout the land that you hold as a possession, you must provide for the redemption of the land. Why does the land need to be redeemed? Because it belongs to God. And the same is true. Why must the people be redeemed? After listing all the various ways that people might be redeemed by their family, by themselves, and so on, verses 54 to 55 say, if someone's not redeemed in any of these ways, they and their children are to be released in the year of Jubilee. For the Israelites belong to me as servants. They are my servants, whom I brought out of Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. Why must the people be redeemed? Because they belong to God. The land and the people, all things belong to God. God is sovereign over all things. He rightly rules over everything. And everyone. Redemption. It's about restoring the land and the people back to their proper owner. God. And you see, this is really good news. This is really good news because God is good. God is good. God desires goodness for the world. He desires goodness for his people. God doesn't rule over people ruthlessly. Jubilee, right, is a time to proclaim freedom to the captives. It's a time to restore the land and to return to your home. God longs to make a home for his people. A place of belonging where we can once again live freely and lightly as was intended. That's why uh, in the end, the, the resounding phrase in Revelation 21 is the home of God is with people. God longs to make people at home once more, to restore the world and the land itself to, as as the psalmist says, a place where trees sing for joy and rivers clap their hands. This is what God desires for the world and for his people. 
This is the message of Jubilee. Freedom, restoration, and redemption for all things. Now here's the thing about Jubilee. After these instructions we find in Leviticus, and one little mention of it in the book of Numbers, there is no biblical or historical evidence that it ever actually happened. There's no evidence that people ever actually did it. So the year of Jubilee was this long hoped for day of redemption and restoration that was yet to occur. Where is our redemption? Where is this promised restoration? We're waiting. We're longing for it. And the prophets spoke of it. Right? Isaiah prophesied that one day someone would come, anointed by the Spirit of God, to finally proclaim good news for the poor, proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim release for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Someday someone's going to come and finally announce the year of Jubilee is here. Who will that be? Luke makes it clear who this messenger is. In Luke chapter 4, the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, it says that Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And so unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You see, as Jesus in that synagogue reads the words of Isaiah, he's not merely quoting scripture. He's fulfilling it. These words are not ultimately Isaiah's. They're Jesus' words. Because Jesus is the word. Jesus is the one who comes to finally announce and establish the year of Jubilee. To finally bring redemption to all things, people and the world around us. You see, we're in desperate need of redemption. And Jesus is our jubilee. There's one way out. It's the way of Jesus. So let us look to God, who is sovereign and good. Let us look to creation and to the community around us with 
compassion, and care. And let us give thanks for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that redeems, restores, and makes us finally free as we hope for that coming day when all things will be restored and made new. Amen.